0: Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. It's now time for our scripture reading this morning. Our scripture reading is found in John chapter 9, verses 20 through 34. His parents answered then and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means now he sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. The Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then he said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began it has been unheard of anyone open the eyes of one who was born blind. If this were not from God, he could do anything. The man answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. May the blessing be upon the reading of the Lord's word
1: Good morning and happy Sabbath Good It's a blessing to be here with you this morning and to be able to worship together. A little bit snowy outside, just a little bit, but uh, it's nice inside and it's a wonderful time to worship the Lord and praise the Lord together. As was mentioned, I serve in the conference office as the ministerial director, which is one of the roles is to seek to be a support and a help to the pastors throughout Michigan. And so it's my privilege to be a support to your pastor and the other pastors. I hope I do that effectively for him. Appreciate your pastor and the work going on here. You know, we have a lot going on this year. I know it's just the end of February, but we have a lot of things rolling already for camp meeting. Uh, and so there's lots of things coming up. Of course, camp meeting registration just starts uh, next week, actually, but uh, a lot of things in works for that, and then we have a conference-wide evangelistic meetings that are going to be taking place this fall, so a lot of uh, irons in the fire that we're working on and praying for the Lord to bless, and uh, we just trust that the Lord will it's blessing you here as He's blessing throughout Michigan. But as we begin, I want to, as we read in our scripture reading, in from John chapter nine, one of the things I suppose that is going on is uh, the if you're familiar with the Pathfinder Bible Experience, which is where Pathfinders will learn uh, a number of chapters from Scripture and then answer questions on them. Uh, the conference-wide Pathfinder Bible Experience takes place actually next week, and. Uh, We have our two older daughters are in that, and they have been memorizing some of the chapters from John. John 9 is one of those chapters. And so we have repeated it multiple times in our family worship and helped to have them recite it back to us. And it's a beautiful chapter that I want to look at a little bit today, but I also want to look at it from a uh, personal perspective as well. Can you imagine what it would be like
2: to be born blind?
1: Those of us that can see can't imagine it, can we? I can't imagine it. Never being able to see before. Life would be very different, wouldn't it? Not only would you miss the beauties and the joys of seeing a sunset or a rainbow or the other blessings that God gives us in the natural world around us, you would never see the face of a loved one.
2: Not to mention the
1: difficulties that would come with living life without being able to see. If you were born blind at that point in time, of course, there was no Braille. You would not be able to read. You would be limited in what you could do around the house, even to care for yourself.
2: Life would be a dark world.
1: Now we're told that our other senses will become heightened when we are missing one sense, and so the sense of hearing and things like this would increase. But still you would miss so much
2: of life by not being able to see.
1: And we don't know very much about this man. In fact, John chapter 9 is all that we know about this man. We do not know his name. We do not know his parents' names. We do not know how old he was. In my mind previously, I've always thought of him as a mature individual. But as I was going over this chapter again this week, it was pointed out that he might have been much younger than what my mind thought because the very fact that they called his parents is an indication that he might have been somewhat young. Now, they did say that he was of age, so in the Jewish mindset, he had to have been at least 13 years old. But we don't know where he was after that.
2: Day in and day out, he was brought to the temple. One of the saddest things that you see when you travel overseas are the children
1: that are performing some menial task to try to earn money for their family or begging to try to survive for
2: themselves or for their family. And here
1: was this man, perhaps young, and he's there by the temple gate. And as he's there, he's asking for help. And Jesus comes and his disciples ask them the question. And this was one of the perennial debates of the time. Who sinned? This man who was born blind or his parents... It was not. Did he, was this was this blindness because of sin? That was already assumed. The question was whether this man sinned or his parents. Not quite certain how they would have thought that this unborn uh, child would have sinned in order to be born blind. But that was the question that is posed. Jesus uses this as an opportunity, as he does other times, and he says, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that God's work could be revealed. And then in verse 5, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world.
2: Jesus knew he was about to bring light to this young man's life.
1: He knew that he was about to restore, not just to restore, but to open before him another world that he had never even seen or had only thought about.
2: He knew he was going to give light to him. But he also knew that he
1: had come to give light to more than just the blind man. He knew that he had come to give light to all who would respond
2: to his invitation. So we read
1: in verse 6, And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he an- And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, verse 7. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came
2: back seeing.
1: We know in the book of Acts when Peter and John are entering the temple and He asked for alms and he says, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have we give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the story records that he went, at least the song, (laughs) he went jumping and leaping and praising God, right?
2: Can you imagine this individual as
1: he was returning from this pool and suddenly He has washed the clay off of his eyes, and as the clay has come off of his eyes, his eyes are opened and he can see. Imagine the joy. Imagine the
2: gratefulness. An entire new
1: world is opened before him and he is rejoicing in the light of the world that he now sees he sees the temple that he has been sitting before for so many days or years as news gets around he sees people that he has recognizes their voices but has never seen their faces including
2: his parents He also sees
1: some angry priests gathering there. And soon he is about to look into the face of the one who said to him, go and wash. And he came back seeing. It's an amazing miracle, isn't it? an amazing miracle that Jesus performed. But it's not just an amazing miracle that Jesus performed for this man. I would suggest that this is an amazing miracle that God wants to perform for each and every one of us as well. Because Jesus came into this world to give light to the blind. He came to speak Peace to those that are far off. He came to dispel the darkness from our minds. And the even greater miracle that we find as we continue through this chapter and as we will come to it is not just does this man receive the miracle of sight, but this man walks from spiritual darkness into the light of this world as well. And that is the miracle that I believe Jesus came to perform for each and every one of us. I am sure that that man never forgot that day by the temple as he was just a regular day for him as he was sitting there but turned out to be one of the most miraculous days of his life that he saw, and he saw Jesus. I'm sure that even as he progressed in years, uh, that he never tired of telling the story of Jesus' deliverance and Jesus giving him sight. And that's the story that Jesus wants each of us to be able to tell as well. I want to share a little bit today about my personal journey, my personal experience, how I believe God has given sight to me. Not that he's finished, of course. He wants to continue to give us sight and to lead us into the light of this world. But when I was growing up, I was not, did not have the privilege of being raised in an Adventist family, but I'm thankful for the family that I had and for the beliefs that we did have. I grew up as a member of what is today called the Community of Christ Church. At the time, it was referred to as the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, you may recognize that name from a more common name, of course, what we refer to today sometimes as the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Both of these churches came from the same movement. They're both a part of the Latter-day Saint movement. And I want to go back just a little bit, and I'm, not, I'm going to skip over a lot of history here, because I want to focus what God has done for me and for us and the responsibility that we have because of that today. In 1830, by the way, if you look at the uh, Latter-day Saint movement, the Mormon movement, you'll find that, in my opinion at least, it parallels and is a counterfeit to the Adventist movement. So when you look at when Joseph Smith began to have his dream, his experiences, uh, you'll find that it was about the same time that William Miller was studying the Advent movement. You see, when when William Miller began to share the Adventist message the that Jesus was coming soon, is about the same time a little bit after but right in that same time period that Joseph Smith began to promote his gospel as well. In the book, in the year 1830 the Book of Mormon was published right when the advent movement was growing. In 1831 there was a man that was uh there were only about 600 in the movement at that time and uh, there was a man in Ohio that was baptized. This man actually turned out to be, of course, I never met him, but he was my great-great-great-great-grandfather. <laughs> if I have that many greats correctly, four times great-grandfather. I knew my great-grandmother. That was, uh, it would have been his, her grandfather, I believe, if I did the math correctly there. He was ordained by Joseph Smith, and he became a lesser leader in the movement. But remember I said that the Advent movement and the, uh, there's the Mormon movement, there were parallels between them. And as I said, I believe that the uh, Mormon movement, the Latter-day Saint movement, was a counterfeit that the devil was raising up or at least was using at that point in time, although there were many good people and continue to be many good people there. In the year 1844, of course, Advent has suffered a dis- great disappointment but they weren't the only ones we find that Joseph Smith was killed in 1844 as well very as I was mentioned very very interesting and the at that point the main branch of the Latter-day Saint movement a couple years after went out to Utah and but some did not some came to Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, the Illinois that area and so that movement was split there and uh, my family was also split. Some went out to Utah, some stayed with the others and around Nauvoo, that area. And so that's where I was, where I grew up and had many my many uh, leaders in the church. My great-grandfather was very instrumental and I could go back, but I'm not gonna talk about that history because that's just history. I wanna share how God worked to bring at me and my family, at least some of my family, from darkness into light. When I was about four years old, we had some friends that became Seventh-day Adventists. And they had a burden to share with us. Of course, I was just a very young child at that point in time. And as they had this burden to share with us, they began to study the Bible with my mother And my mother was convinced that the Sabbath was true and from the Bible. But, she says, I do not remember this. She says that I convinced her to continue going to the RLDS church, most likely because it was a family church. It was a warm and loving church, and I was comfortable there. And so my mother made a decision that we would go to church on Sunday and we would keep the Sabbath at home. How well does that normally work? (laughs) Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 that no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. And that was really the experience. And I have in evangelistic meetings and uh, studying the Bible with people, sometimes people will share with me that. Well, I see the Sabbath from the Bible, but I'll just keep going to church, but I'll just keep the Sabbath. And I share with them this experience and this passage that really you can't do both. God has told us to work for six days and rest the seventh day. We cannot keep two Sabbaths. And so... My mother, particularly at that point, made the choice to continue going to the RLDS Church, Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, I don't know if you've ever had somebody that you were studying the Bible with, and then they stopped studying. What is your response when that happens normally? Normally, you move on, don't you? Normally, you think, okay, they're not interested, and since they're not interested, then I'll go look for others that are interested. That's a normal response. I'm not saying it's a bad response. There's times when that is appropriate, if someone is rejecting, but our friends did not do that. They were not able to study the Bible with us, but they stayed in contact with us. They stayed friends. They were not able to share that much, but yet they stayed friends with us and they kept praying for us. Are there people you're trying to reach with the gospel? Keep praying for them. Doesn't matter who they are or where they are, keep praying for them. And not only keep praying for them, but stay in contact as friends with them. If they had not have stayed in contact with us as friends, they would not have had that opportunity. You know, it takes some perseverance because for about eight or ten years,
2: they kept praying for us
1: and stayed in contact with us. Now, that's a long time. In fact, they were even told uh, As they were sharing, I don't know if it was during a prayer time in church or whatever, uh, however it was, they probably were sharing that they were praying for us. And uh, they invited, my mother went to some cooking schools and some things like that. We went to one of their daughter's baptism. They came to my baptism.
2: And one of the pastors
1: said, well, you know what? You might as well give up because you can never win Mormons. But they did not follow that advice. And they persevered. They kept praying. And the Lord opened the doors. Now, I can remember as a, a, I don't remember exactly how old I was. But there was a point when we were still going to the uh, RLDS Church, the Community of Christ Church. And as we were going there, I had a desire to study the Bible which is not a major thing. Normally you study the Book of Mormon and and, uh, the history and things like that. But I had wanted to study the Bible and I wanted to study the Book of Revelation. And so as I shared that I wanted to study the Book of Revelation, I was told, well, don't study Revelation. That's too hard. You can't understand it. Maybe you should start in the Book of Matthew. That was probably good advice. I didn't take it, but it was probably good advice. And so I decided as probably I was 11 or something like that at that point in time. Well, if I want to study the book of Revelation, I'm going to start then in the book of Genesis and I'm going to read all the way through and once I get to Revelation, then I'll be able to understand it. And so I started every day. I would read a chapter or so from the Bible and I would drop through Genesis and you know, Genesis is pretty good because there's lots of stories in the book of Genesis and you can kind of understand and by the way my mother was had even as growing up had read bible stories and things like this but i got into exodus and there's still some stories and then leviticus the stories kind of dry up and you get a few more in numbers and i got to about the book of judges and said you know what i didn't really understand what i just read i better go back and start again So I rewinded and went back and started reading in Genesis again and I got up to about the same place. I probably should have persevered and got through Samuel and Kings, but I didn't. And I went, so the second time I said, I still didn't really understand. I need to go back and read again. I knew that God was working on my heart uh, because when there's a desire to understand the Bible and to study the Bible, God is working in our hearts and in our lives. Time passed and my mother went down and friends invited her to go down to the health institution of Yuchi Pines. There was a midwifery conference taking place there. And so she went for a week. And as she went for that week, everything that she had studied previously came back to her with deep conviction. And she said there, I see this is true, but what about my son, Trody? <laughs> he loves his church so much. She had right to be worried. She came back, gone for, you know, week and a half. I remember... Although we had read Bible stories and we had had not exactly a family worship, but we had had uh, certainly a time where my mother would read to us as children. She got out of the car, of course, we hadn't seen her for, for a little while, and she said, well, let's, someone said, well, let's pray and thank the Lord for safe traveling. And that might seem something normal to us to do, but it was not normal to me then. And uh, my mother prayed, and I can remember her praying. don't remember what she prayed, but I remember her prayer. And I remember as she was praying, I started to become angry because she was praying different. You could tell that something was different. And my first thought was, these Adventists have corrupted her. And then I thought, this is all during the prayer, then I thought in my mind, no, she's praying more fervently. That's a good thing. And then my mother said, well, let's start having family worship. And then she wanted to start sharing with us about the Sabbath, I was thirteen, and as she began to share about the Sabbath, we just had a little pamphlet, and we would look up a verse and read it from the bible and as we would as we began that, I remember being so angry. I went back to my room, and as I went back to my room, I knelt down. I didn't normally kneel down, I don't think, but I knelt down, and I prayed, and I was so angry, I remember it like yesterday, that my fists were clenched, and there were tears of rage in my eyes, and I knelt down, and I prayed, and I said, Lord, show me the truth so that I can show my mother the truth. Now, in my mind, what I was praying is uh, that I would be able to uh, know uh, what the truth of my church, which was the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the RLDS Church, that I was going to be able to show my mother that truth so that she would no longer be deceived because I was fully convinced that that was the true church, that Joseph Smith was a true prophet and everything else. But as we continued to read, as we continued to look up the
2: passages about the Sabbath, I began to come to a conclusion in my mind. I had a choice. And the choice was simply
1: I could follow my church, I could follow my family heri- heritage.
2: Because <clears throat> I wasn't a seventh generation Adventist. I was a seventh generation in the Mormon movement. Or I could follow what I saw the Bible was teaching.
1: And I struggled. I didn't want to follow this new idea. I could see it was the from the Bible. I couldn't argue with it, but it went against everything that I had been taught and that I knew or
2: thought I knew.
1: As time went by, the Lord performed a miracle that we can't explain. He softens our heart and leads us
2: to accept him instead of our way. And so we began, at first,
1: we went to church on Sunday one week and church on Sabbath the next week. Don't know that I recommend it, but that's how we began. And I remember going from my church, which was literal family and very close Family church. And it was either our first or second Sabbath. And there was a special event, and we went to this special event on Sabbath. And I felt so alone. I didn't know anybody, everybody was talking among themselves. They all had their friends, they all knew one another. And as they were talking among themselves, I didn't know what to do. I was just out. It's important that we seek to incorporate those that are making the step, and it's a hard step, to come into a church that's not their own. They probably know very few people. Everything is new and awkward. It is important that we remove as many of those barriers as possible, that we engage in a warm, friendly, loving environment where we become friends with those that are coming. Fortunately, we had our friends that brought us, but the Lord gave us grace, we persevered. As a young person, I had looked forward to for many years. We lived out in the country And, but I had always wanted to go out on the sports teams. My parents had said, I'm not driving all the way in and waiting there and driving back. And so, but when you get into junior high and high school, there's an activity bus that will take you just a couple miles from the house. We'll go pick you up then. You can go out for those activities then. And then right about that time when I was there in junior high, at that time, We start studying about the Sabbath. And guess what that means? When are the games? (laughs) They're on Friday night and they're on Saturday, aren't they? And I knew that if I was going to accept this, there was the the sports games that I had looked forward to, there's the other activities, and I knew when they were all going to be, and I knew that if I was going to accept this, I was not going to be able to go this direction that I had wanted. Not only was it my church and my family, it was also my grandfather who the one that had baptized me uh, into the, uh, the RLDS church, and so I knew that I was going to have to give those up and it's a struggle it seems silly now but it's a struggle then and every time somebody comes into a church there are into our church there's challenges that they're dealing with there's struggles that they're facing and it may not seem big to us because it may have been 10 or 20 or 50 years since we'd struggled with some of those things but they're big to them And we need to recognize the challenge that it is for them and do all that we can to support and to help them. By God's grace, the light began to dawn. And I began to see more and more. And my mother and I were baptized together in the Adventist church about a year and a half after we began studying. It had taken our friends praying for us for 10 or 12 years. But I'm very thankful that they kept praying. (laughs) I'm very thankful that they did not give up. And it reminds me when there are those that don't make decisions as fast as I would like them to, when they... do not come along like I would like them to, it reminds me to keep praying and keep working for those because I was that person one of those times that was not only uh, not, resist, not accepting, but I was resistant. I remember one time my little brother came up to me. This is when we were, uh, before we had uh, started studying again and become Adventist, and my little brother was probably about six or something at the time, and he came up and he was greatly disturbed. Our friends were there, he was playing with a friend that was about his age, and he says, my friend says that the devil wants you to go to church on Sunday. (laughs) And uh, maybe not the best way to try to describe the mark of the beast to a six-year-old, but anyway... He was the other. His friend was probably six or seven too. So he was doing what he knew best. But, and I remember saying to my brother, I said, you know, they believe that, but we believe it's all right to go to church on Sunday. He looks up at me. Okay, goes back to playing again. I was blind, but now I see. I'm thankful for the light of truth that God has revealed. Because as God reveals truth, the light of truth, we find in Jesus a constant abiding friend. It's not just a church. It's not just a set of doctrines although that's a part of it because it helps us to understand Jesus more. But that's more, it's much more than that. It's finding Jesus as a friend, a constant abiding friend in our lives. It's finding a message from Jesus that is relevant and meaningful and answers life's questions today. It's finding a truth that is consistent and does not contradict itself. And it's a message that meets the heart. I'm going to go back to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. The greatest verse in this chapter is verse 25. I believe it's the greatest verse at least. His parents have been brought before the the Pharisees, and they have uh, basically pass the buck back to him, back to their son. They say, we know that he's our son. We know that he was born blind. How he sees, we don't know. Ask him. He'll tell you he's of age. Of course, John tells us why they told them that. Because they feared the Jews. Because they did not want to be put out of the synagogue. And so they turned back to this Man who was once blind, and say to him, Give God the glory, we know that this man is a sinner. Verse 25 He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, Now I see. He said, I'm not going to argue with you about whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know that. I don't have the evidence. I can't tell one way or the other here. I don't know. There's lots of things that we might not know, and that's okay. You might not be able to explain every verse and phrase of Daniel 11, and that's okay. Okay. There's lots of things that we might not know. And if you can, great. The more we know, the better. But this man had seen Jesus for the first time in his life a few moments to hours ago. He had never read a scroll of the scriptures. He had very little education or knowledge because he had been born blind. There was lots he didn't know and he admitted what he didn't know but he hastens to add whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know but one thing I know, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. He knew what could not be controverted, and that was his personal experience with Jesus. We may not be able to repeat from memory and give a Bible study on the 2300 days. If we can, great. But if we can't, we don't need to be discouraged. But we are to know at least one thing. We are to know what Jesus has done for us. And that is the experience that we can know that no one can take from us. And when you look and you continue to read the story, they're baffled. What can they say to that? They can argue whether he's a sinner or not. They can argue whether there's been a prophet come from Galilee or not, as they did later. They could argue all of these things. But they could not argue that this man was blind and now he could see. There was no arguing with that. Somebody that you're witnessing to might not be convinced about the Sabbath. They might not be convinced that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the remnant church of Bible prophecy, but if they see a changed life in you, there's nothing that they can argue with about that. If they see that you have the peace and joy of Jesus in your heart and in your life, nothing can controvert that. They can't say, Oh, no, you don't have peace and joy. This blind man, now seeing man, knew very little, but what he knew was the most powerful thing. He knew what Jesus had done for him. He had a testimony upon his lips, and no one could take it away from him.
2: And there's something
1: else. You couldn't keep him quiet either, (laughs) Because he knew what Jesus had done, you could not keep him quiet. Oh, they say, oh, give God the glory. This guy, man's a sinner. What did he do to you? And then he goes on and he says, oh, are you going to, uh, I told you already, do you want to become his disciples? And they continue, oh, no, we're Moses' disciples. And he says, look, this is a marvelous thing. We've never heard of such a thing where one that was born blind, his eyes were opened. He had to share what Jesus had done for him. And as he shared what Jesus had done for him, there were consequences. Verse 34 says, They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. His parents, who had been afraid to even acknowledge that their son had been healed by Jesus because they were afraid of the social ramifications of being cast out of the synagogue, This man could not be quiet. He had to share what Jesus had done for him, and he was cast out.
2: I believe when we have the experience of this man,
1: the world is going to be warned quickly. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, in this gospel, the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. What is a witness? It's a testimony. That Greek word witness or testimony is martura. I mispronounced it a little bit there, but it's where our English word comes from, martyr. The martyrs are simply giving their testimony, their witness of what Jesus has done and is doing for them. And this man was on fire for Jesus. Nothing could dissuade him from sharing what Jesus had done in his life. And as nothing could dissuade him from sharing what Jesus had done in his life, he became that witness, that testimony for Jesus. And God calls each of us to know, just like this blind man, one thing I know. Though I was blind, now I see.
2: We can know other
1: things, but that's the essential thing that we know the one thing that we know, what Jesus has done and is doing for me. And when we realize that and acknowledge that, we can't keep quiet.
2: God calls us.
1: We have nothing to be ashamed of. We have a unique message to give to the world, don't we? We have the three angels message. We have a message that is consistent and harmonious. We have a message that is unique, a message that meets the needs and the heart longing of every person in this world. And not only do we have a message that meets the needs of the heart, we have a Savior that wants to touch each one of us and those that we're witnessing to individually. That we can have an individual experience
2: with Him. And He calls us to share one thing I know. I was blind, but by the grace and mercy of God, now
1: I see. May that be our testimony. May we not be afraid to share that with anyone and everyone, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family.
2: May we not get discouraged I'd love to know what happened to this seeing
1: man. We know that he received an even greater miracle. Not only did he receive his sight, but he received his spiritual sight. We read in verses 35 to 38, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said,
2: Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him.
1: This blind man received a physical miracle, and he received a spiritual miracle as well. We may not receive a physical miracle, that's okay, but we can each receive a spiritual miracle. And we can each share that with those around us. May we be as faithful in sharing Jesus and our testimony of what he has done and is doing for us, as was the blind man that now saw. Our closing song is number 639. I want to mention why I chose this song, because it might not be readily evident might be familiar, it might not. It's a song that goes more with our Sabbath school lesson because it's a song on stewardship, but it's also a song of commitment. But the reason I chose this song was because if you look at the author and the church that it comes from, it's actually my great uncle that wrote this song. And uh, he was says, Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They believe in stewardship. We believe in stewardship. And so we have borrowed this song and it has beautiful words. I'm not just saying that because it was my great uncle, but uh, beautiful words, not only of stewardship, but of commitment to God that we give ourselves to him and want to be used by him in everything that we do.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.